earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Today we'll conclude our three-part mini-series on the three letters of John, the overarching theme being truth, lies, and love in action. Last time in session two, we discussed walking in the truth. Today, in our final session three, we'll talk about wandering from the truth, unpacking this short letter of Third John. But before we sink our teeth into Third John, listen to this quote from Kim Meter, co-founder of Crystal Peaks Youth Ranch, a ministry that rescues abused horses and pairs them with children in need. She said, Fake freedom teaches that believers can live on the red line of this world with one foot on belief in Jesus and the other foot entrenched in what offends holiness. Yet in this position, the enemy has access to attack you anytime he chooses. This is not faith. It is spiritual roulette. Friends, singer-songwriter and musician Bob Hartman, member of the Christian band Petra, wrote a song called Judas's Kiss. I can just picture him wondering one day about some things and trying hard to draw a conclusion from his wonderings. Well, I wonder if any of us have wondered any of these same things portrayed in the song. Things like, I wonder how it makes you feel, and the you here is Jesus, when the prodigal won't come home. I wonder how it makes you feel when he'd rather be on his own. I wonder how it makes you feel when the lamb has gone astray. I wonder how it makes you feel when your children disobey. And if that wasn't enough, friends, his wondering continues. I wonder how it makes you feel when no one seeks your face. I wonder how it makes you feel when they give up in the race. I wonder how it makes you feel when they willingly disobey. I wonder how it makes you feel when they willingly walk away. Then Hartman goes on to speculate what it must be like for Jesus. It must be like another thorn stuck in your brow. It must be like another close friend's broken vow. It must be like another nail right through your wrist. It must be just like, then there's a brief pause, just like Judas's kiss. Now, friends, I'm pretty sure I don't need to rehearse with anyone listening today just who Judas was or what he did, right? And I'm also pretty sure that more than one of us has experienced what I'm going to label the Judas spirit. Have any of you ever been betrayed by a friend? Maybe even by a close friend's broken vow? I've wondered myself if experiences like that qualify to be called a Judas kiss. 
Well, friends, today is the third and final session in our three-part series on the three letters of John. And the overarching theme I discovered that runs through all three letters, truth, lies, and love in action. You may recall that I titled session one, Warring for the Truth. And session two I titled, Walking in the Truth. Now today we have session three, which I've titled, Wandering from the Truth, as we unpack Third John. So let's dig right into Third John. Third John is actually the shortest of the three letters, despite the fact that it has two more verses than Second John. But the sentences are shorter. And since this short letter is only 15 verses, I'll read them all. The elder to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in truth. Dear friend, I pray, or wish, that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well, or prospers. It gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you're doing for the brothers and sisters, even though they're strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out. Receiving no help from the pagans, we ought therefore to show hospitality to such people, so that we may work together for the truth. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write to you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Now, friends, it's been said that because of these three letters, John acquired the nickname of the Apostle of Love. In First John, love is mentioned 41 times in just five short chapters. In Second John, love is mentioned five times in only 13 verses. That's almost once in every three verses. And at first glance, it appears that love is mentioned only three times in this final letter of Third John, in verses 1, 6, and 9, the obvious places in our English translations. But just a little digging into the original language uncovers an interesting fact. Love is actually mentioned five times in a good context and one time in a bad context. Friends, the first occurrence is actually the opening phrase, to my dear friend Gaius. The Greek New Testament actually says, to Gaius the beloved, using agape. This is not mere friendship love, but godly love in action. 
the second occurrence is the very next phrase, whom I love in truth. Again, the word love being agape. And once again, notice John's recurring connection between truth and love. We'll come back to this shortly. But friends, let me say this. Agape can become sloppy when it's not founded or rooted in truth. Because, friends, our world is going totally bonkers by not accepting a biblical definition of love, actually throwing the biblical definition of love out, trashing it. Worse than that, accusing us Christians of putting limitations on love and declaring that it's just not fair. I'm actually sorry to have to say this, but agape has gotten sloppy in the body of Christ. It's as if we've unconsciously adopted the catchphrase from the 1970 movie Love Story, starring Ally McGraw and Ryan O'Neill. Who remembers them? You know, love means never having to say you're sorry. Well, I'll take that one step further and modify it slightly for our present times in the church. Love means never having to judge me in any way for my deliberate sinful behavior. Well, we'll return to this in just a moment, but let's finish out the other mentions of love in Third John. And keep in mind, friends, all three letters make a connection between love and truth. In 1 John 3.18, we find, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. In other words, love in action. Second John opens with a greeting to the church and its members with the elder to the lady chosen by God and to her children whom I love in truth. Love having an objective basis. And now, here in Third John, the opening greeting is similar to Gaius the Beloved whom I love in truth. So friends, the third time love is mentioned is in verse 2. Dear friend is actually a form of the word agape. It would be like saying, to the one I love with a godly, unselfish, or unconditional love. The fourth time, this is repeated in verse 5 with dear friend. And finally, the fifth time love is repeated is in verse 6. They, the traveling missionaries, have told the church about your love, agape. Evidently, action spoke louder than words. Now, friends, even if this brief letter, it might be confusing to figure out just which assembly John is referring to because of verse 6's mention and then verse 9's mention. So, I'd like to suggest one way to reconstruct what's going on here. First, remember that John is functioning like an elder over several, most likely house church, fellowships. These may or may not be tied or linked together under the umbrella of John's shepherdly care and oversight. I'll suggest that Gaius is likely an overseer of one assembly in the Johannine Fellowship Group, and Diotrephes, the troublemaker, belongs to a different house church fellowship in the network, so to speak. Verse 6 may be referring to John's own assembly, and that the traveling missionaries report back to him with the results of their work. John himself may even be the one dispatching the traveling teachers. It appears that John is in regular contact with these church fellowships, as verse 9 indicates. And it so happens that this letter, Third John, is addressed to Gaius, his dear friend, who either oversees one of these assemblies or is a prominent leader or liaison there. 
John is obviously not happy with the behavior of one member in of the church fellowships, Diotrephes, who has asserted some authority and uses his power to forbid the welcoming and the hospitality given to a group of traveling or itinerant teachers. Not only is he doing that, he's also forcing believers in his fellowship to stop showing kindness and hospitality to these traveling teachers. On top of that, he's using his influence to kick people out of the church. Now, friends, I got to tell you, when I began gathering the info for this session, I thought it was being a little too hard on Diotrephes. After all, I thought, what's the big deal with a little unhospitality? So what? But then I reread and studied verse 6 a little more carefully. You see, the Greek New Testament actually says, Please send them, a reference to the missionaries, on their way in a manner worthy of God. On top of that, it's important we have a fair understanding of hospitality in the ancient Near East and the first century Greco-Roman world. John reminds us that showing hospitality is an action worthy of God. Friends, I don't know if you're connecting the dots here, but I was immediately struck by the fact that without Christ's work on the cross, God would not welcome us into his household. So God himself is the ultimate example of offering hospitality. After all, the Apostle Paul tells us that it is through being justified by faith that we've been given access into God's gracious spiritual rebirth and relational peace. You see, friends, when we were still helpless, powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were unable to save ourselves, we were granted justification by Christ's blood and spared from God's wrath. Amen? And so, this being the basic premise of the gospel, John is commending Gaius's church community for welcoming, showing hospitality, and blessing strangers that come to them with a word from God. And John reminds them that those who show such hospitality to traveling teachers are working together with them for the truth. This then becomes the practical outworking of the essential command to love one another. In other words, this becomes love in action. In verse 5, John commending Gaius for his church community being faithful in their hospitable actions toward the traveling teachers actually echoes Jesus' words in his parable of the bag of gold, where the faithful servants worked to increase their shares. Jesus then says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, evidently, in God's opinion, resisting this offer of hospitality is tantamount to imitating evil, as verse 11 says. Well, notice that John sets up an interesting contrast here by example. John contrasts Diotrephes, this troublemaker, with Demetrius, who is well spoken of and an advocate for the truth, according to John himself. In fact, John goes so far as to say that the truth itself testifies to Demetrius's character. Wow, that's certainly some way to gain a reputation, isn't it? 
Imagine if you got your reputation as a Christian because the truth testified to you, your character. The truth itself actually spoke well of you. Well, friends, let's zoom in on this guy, Diotrephes, for a moment. In verse 9, John clearly assesses him as someone who loves to be first, the one negative reference to love. In other words, he's bucking for the chief position. He desires preeminence. We might even say he's a guy wrangling for center stage. Very un-agape-like, right? And why John chooses a different word for this love. The word John chooses is phileo, meaning friendship love. But even this friendship love is being defiled by John's use of a suffix proteo. The Greek word here is phileo proteo. Proteo being where we get our English prefix proto, meaning first, like prototype. Verse 9 even suggests that he's already disrespected John's authority as an apostle and won't even welcome him. John has no other recourse but to call him out in public. Notice, friends, John is not afraid to mention this troublemaker by name. In verse 10, spreading malicious nonsense, as the NIV has, carries some additional heavy meanings like falsely accusing with malicious words, idle accusations, empty charges, and even gossip and lying. So, friends, my take on Diotrephes' behavior, which is expanded on later in part of 10, continuing into verse 11, is that it qualifies to be called wandering from the truth, our title for today's session. My rationale for this is because of John's tie-in of truth and love, because it's so uncharacteristic of God himself and of his son Jesus, and uncharacteristic of the tone of John's three letters in reference to godly love that Christ followers are to be exhibiting. In verse 11, John even goes so far as to declare that Diotrephes' behavior is imitating evil and not good. So, friends, John's third letter winds down with a concluding gesture of wishing peace to his friend Gaius. Now, the New Testament Greek word for peace here is the equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom, which you've heard before, right? I love the word shalom. It's such a multifaceted word, its range of meaning being wishing someone peaceful circumstances, internal peace, and incident-free day, wishing for a peaceful world, stability of life, etc. Among Jewish people, it's used as both an opening greeting and a closing salutation just as John uses it here in verse 15. And the additional word greet in verse 15 in greet the friends is a cool word. In its original context, it meant wish the friends well or embrace the friends, the root literally meaning to enfold in the arms. A modern-day equivalent, I believe, might be give the friends there a hug for me. Now, friends, before we close out our time together today, and I share my final exhortations with you, there's two places in this letter that need further explanation. Verse 2 and verse 7. Verse 2 has been, and I don't feel bad using this word, bastardized. Ministers and teachers all over the body of Christ have misinterpreted and misused it to teach falsehood. The standard line of thinking goes like this. 
If our soul can prosper, then why not our body or our life in general? Verse 2 has become one of the poster child verses for the prosperity doctrine or prosperity gospel. And friends, the error lies in the use of our English word pray in this verse. Here John does not use the typical or customary word for prayer. Rather, he uses a word meaning to wish, and it refers to a human birthed wish, not a God birthed wish. Friends, John's warm and personal intention in this letter is underscored by both his opening greeting and wish and his closing salutation of shalom. So, I believe that John's use of agape in verse 2's wish for his friend Gaius should be understood to communicate this, to a dear friend with whom I share a godly love connection, and attaching that understanding of John and Gaius's mutual relationship and mutual mission, John wishes Gaius health and well-being from his heart, just as John is convinced that Gaius's spiritual well-being is strong and flourishing. And friends, shalom can also carry in its meaning wishing someone good health, meaning wholeness or soundness in one's body. So, with just a little digging, we see that verses 1 and 15 function like bookends, and John's intent is reinforced. He begins with wishing Gaius health and well-being, and he ends with passing on a blessing of peace and well-being, not only to Gaius, but to his house church community as well. And now to verse 7, John's use of the name As you may know, for the Jewish people, God's name was sacred. They were careful to not even accidentally take his name in vain. For protection, they substituted either the Hebrew word Adonai, which meant Lord or Master, or they'd just say the name. In Jewish prayers and conversations, when they say Adonai, they usually follow it with Blessed be his name, or simply the shorter variation, Blessed be he. Well, friends, in Third John, the point John is making is that the work of these traveling or itinerant teachers functioning like missionaries is being done for the sake of God's kingdom and to honor him. And in their faithfulness to this mission, they relied on the provisions and support of the body of Christ that made up John's Christian communities. So, once again, we see in Third John the same consistency we found in First and Second John, that being our overarching theme— Truth, lies, and love in action. The specific focus of Third John being wandering from the truth, represented by the evil behavior and lifestyle of Diotrephes. And our overarching theme of truth, lies, and love in action has three subplots, warring for the truth, walking in the truth, and wandering from the truth. In this series, we've discovered that battling or warring for the truth actually involves, first of all, knowing the truth, then walking in the truth and walking in love, and then actively working for the truth. But third, John makes one additional significant contribution to our theme of truth, welcoming the truth. And friends, what ties all these W phrases together is a personal commitment to live by the standards of God's word. Jesus said in his high priestly prayer in the Gospel of John chapter 17, speaking to his Father and speaking about his disciples, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. 
And friends, the expression sanctify them by the truth may also be translated sanctify them to live in accordance with the truth. Well, my final exhortation to all of us friends will be to offer a few thoughts on just how we might live in accordance with the truth or how we might walk in the truth. First, to walk in the truth means to walk or live consistently with the truth that we believe. In other words, the truth contained in God's word. Unfortunately, some of us are content to just give lip service to God's word, but lip service isn't true service. It's living a lie. Second, to walk in the truth means to walk in a way that is real and genuine without any phoniness or concealment, as we saw manifested in the hypocritical life of Diotrephes. And third, to walk in the truth means to be faithful, to live under the umbrella of hospitality as a mission in life. Hospitality may seem trivial to us today, but it wasn't back then, nor is it now to God. In fact, hospitality is a practical outworking of Jesus's and John's command to love one another. Hospitality is, in fact, love in action. After all, friends, don't we all long to hear those words of Jesus when we stand before him one day? Well done, good and faithful servant. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of today's program. Our broadcast will close with an email where you may write me. I so appreciate those of you who write in and share your feedback with me. Two listeners wrote in about this series, commenting on session one with... I just grabbed some time for last Thursday's podcast. It was really good. So much in it. I had to go look up the Enneagram error. I'll be reading John now. Thank you. And thanks as always for a wonderful message. Indeed, these are frightening times. May we remain strong to do the work he has given to us to do. Thanks for those supportive comments. And remember, the podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. Just search the menu for local program podcasts. And friends, A Word from the Word is a listener-supported program. So if it's blessing you, please support this work, especially during these challenging financial times. Your faithful support keeps this program on the air. Just email me for the details. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with A Word from the Word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com. 